Welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and UA Sports Marketing. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. How are you doing this morning, Brett? I'm good, man. How's it going? It's going well. We're trying to get these audio problems taken care of. We don't know what the problem is. This is the second attempt that we've had trying to record this. We've done a lot more as far as trying to get the sound up and going, but hopefully it stays together long enough for us to get this recorded because I'd really like to get this out. So, Brett, uh, today we're going to be talking about the running backs, but first we're kind of going to – I think you and Cecil, you said yesterday you guys did an a draft. Talk to the listeners a little bit about what it is that you guys did and what it is we're going to be doing as far as our reaction to it. Yeah, so um, Cecil and I did an A-day draft to kind of create our own crimson and white teams, or in this case, Team Cecil and Team Brett, since uh, since the Alabama coaching staff won't be doing that for an A-day game this year. Um, so Cecil and I did that. We did 25-man drafts, two quarterbacks, two running backs, but the rest of the the teams were up for interpretation with the idea in mind that we're trying to create a team that would actually – be fielded like we're not gonna end the draft with one defensive lineman on the uh on the on the team put it that way so um eventually once that podcast is is released we're recording this in between uh that podcast being released and that uh being recorded to that podcast being released eventually i'm going to put up a twitter poll asking people who they think would win the theoretical a day game between the two and cecil and i are both going to write things for tiesports.com and for the Saturday edition of the Tuscaloosa News about our thought processes behind our selections and why we did what we did for this draft. But none of that has happened yet. So you are the first person other than Cecil and I who are who is seeing the results of this draft. You have the draft order, um, both individually and put together. You have the teams as they are constructed. Um, so you have the first opportunity to uh, to criticize certain draft selections, to inquire about draft selections to praise certain things so go ahead and pick us apart on how the draft went and then once we're done with that i want to know who you think would win this theoretical a day game okay first of all um neither one of you guys drafted more than two corners or two safeties for that matter so the opposing offense goes three receiver sets which both of you have three receivers so that's possible going to be kind of tough on the defense i don't know if that was planned by y'all or if it's just more of a you know now granted cecil does have christian harris who has some cornerback experience in high school so i guess that's pretty solid but that was the first thing that i noticed and that's not a problem but alabama does go five defensive backs quite a bit but i'm guessing it would have been pretty hard to come up with another defensive back a piece uh, right. I mean, you had like that's, Marcus Banks. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way I can explain it. Like, so Cecil's defensive backs were Patrick Sertan the second and Josh Job at corner, uh, Daniel Wright, Nettie Smith at safety. I had Ronald Williams, Jalen Armour Davis, Jordan Battle, and DeMarco Hellams. So if you were to add another defensive back, it, it would probably be, uh, I mean, who would you go with? Marcus Banks and Brandon Turnage, maybe? Yeah, that would be those would be my first two just from an experience factor. And you also have Jacquez Robinson, right. the true freshman that you you would have as an option. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that's just about all of the scholarship defensive backs, or excuse me, all the scholarship corners. Yeah. Uh, and then you could also maybe have uh, another couple of safeties. Uh, 
I don't think it, Brian Branch wasn't an early enrollee, so he wasn't available, and neither right. was uh, Malachi Moore. So, yeah, your your options were kind of limited for the spring. You'd have to start getting down into the walk-on. So I understand that. I just thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I knew that was going to be the first thing I brought up as far as it being a slight advantage for both offenses. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair. Um, I, I, it's like you said with uh, with two DBs in the recruiting class not on campus yet. I think it was more a reflection of the depth that Alabama will have on the defensive line and that linebacker uh, more so than they'll have it in the in the secondary. Just because looking at I mean, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Two of the last seven picks of the draft were linebackers. Cecil taking King Makuta and me taking Drew Sanders. So that, I mean, when when you got to uh, the end of the draft and you're trying to fill out your squad with guys that might be able to help you in some way, it, it just seemed like there were more options for that at linebacker than there were at DB. So that's why. That was the way it was, or at least that's my interpretation of it. I'm assuming Cecil thought the the same way because when when he took King Wakuda with his, uh, he only had three picks after that, so it was near the end. And he took Eddie Smith with his, with his penultimate pick, so he he um, he had an opportunity to take a Marcus Banks or or a Brandon Turnage or a Jacquez Robinson or someone else, and and didn't. So I'm um, I'm assuming that was his line of thinking. Yeah, uh, and I'll say this. Uh, looking at y'all's cornerback group, uh, I think that Cecil, to be quite honest, is way ahead of where you're at as far as the experience factor with Patrick Sertan uh, Jr. and Josh Job in comparison to Ronald Williams, who's a JUCO guy who's got some college experience, but he's going to be trying to make the transition to the SEC. And then Jalen Armour Davis who has seen some action, but just not nearly as much as Josh Job or Patrick Sertan. But on the flip side, I like your safety combination with Jordan Battle and DeMarco Hellams compared to Daniel Wright and Eddie Smith. And I think Wright and Smith are fine, uh, but I think you're going to have Jordan Battle, and then he's got Daniel Wright, who's the projected starter right now. So with not having Brian Branch, who should also be involved in the competition or for playing time at the safety spot, I think that you got the better duo uh, between those two. So I feel like that was kind of a, a balance. Um, and what I did was I kind of went through and took each position and said, you know, do I think that you had the advantage? Cecil had the advantage or it was even, uh, but I'll kind of go through it and we'll kind of talk each position to start. I think that you ended up with Bryce young and Talia compared to Cecil having Mac Jones and Paul Tyson, I think that's pretty dead even. I understand Mac has by far the most experience. I think he was the number one pick, according to Cecil, and then uh, Bryce Young was your number one pick. Right. But I think that, you know, Talia and what he brings to the table as far as being that third QB, the, some of the experiences that he has, I think that kind of balances out the fact that Bryce Young is a true freshman. And I do think if he'd had the spring to learn the system and things like that, he certainly would have been – uh, prepared to make some big plays in an A-day game type of situation. So that was even for me. Running okay. backs, ki- kind of the same way. I-, I like the fact that he went with Trey Sanders and Jace McClellan, but you got the top dog, of course, and Najee Harris. One question that I had for you, though, I did notice that you went with Keelan Robinson instead of Brian Robinson. So d- did you decide to go with a little thunder and lightning instead of the thunder-thunder approach, or was there a reason for that? I wanted juice. Okay. Okay. It's so right that at- simple. 
Yeah, um, you wanted a little change of pace. I want I wanted juice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there are a lot of places and 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 this is an A day draft. You got to remember, and the the biggest the biggest thing about A days is people get an opportunity to see young players and and see them on the field and and dosages that they normally don't see them on the field during the the season. So there are plenty of examples through recent history where young guys show out in an A-day game and, and produce. And if we're being honest, it uh, almost never correlates to production in the regular season, but we're not we're not drafting for the regular season. We're drafting for, for an A-day. So I, I took a, a flyer on Keelan Robinson. Now, uh, Clint, are you saying the running back position is even between the two of us? Yeah, uh, it was very Look, tough. I, I, I love Trey Sanders. I love Jace McClellan. But Cecil's running backs have zero career collegiate carries. Zero. Yes. yes. But it is an 8A game. And I feel like the way that 8A games are set up, a lot of those young guys who don't have a ton of experience, they do end up shining. We saw John Mechie last year who had been playing high school football only a few months before, and he lit up the 8A game. Uh, we saw it with Tua Tungvalo and Jerry Judy. They had zero experience when they first came in and were true freshmen. I think Jace McClellan is the kind of kid that – if they if they weren't so stacked at running back, he'd come in and make an immediate impact. But you're talking well, about having Trey Sanders and Najee Harris and Brian Robinson and Keelan Robinson. He's going to be probably elite at the very least fourth or fifth on the depth chart. But I don't think that's a reflection of him. I think it's a reflection of how deep Alabama is at running back. Well, we'll we'll spend plenty of time breaking down the running backs um, later on in this podcast. But uh, I mean, I, I feel. And maybe I'm just coming to the defense of my team here, but I feel strongly that I have the dude who very well could be Alabama's career leader in rushing yards if we get a full 2020 football season. I have that dude on my A-Day team. I think that's a little bit of a trump card. And that's fair. Um, And and I totally get that argument. The way I kind of would look at it is, and I've always looked at it this way, and maybe it's not the right way, uh, but – I think that you have the top running back. I think that he uh, Cecil has the second and third, and then I think you have the fourth and Keelan Robinson. I do like your your strategy of wanting to go with the the kind of change of pace there. Now, you know, you're going to have to probably be giving him a lot more carries than just a typical change of pace role because you only have the two running backs. Or you could take the strategy of handing the ball to Najee Harrison in an eight-day game thirty times. I mean, either way, that <laughs> I think that you'd. I think you'd find success, but, and that's fair. I now we'll, and we'll kind of go through this quickly. Cause I think we're, we're going to end up talking. I could talk about this for two hours easily. <laughs> I think this is really cool what you guys did. Um, but we'll kind of move on and then go back to the running backs and talk about that more later since they'll be our topic. Uh, but the wide receiver position, I gave you a very slight edge in that regard. And the reason for that is I personally think that John, uh, excuse me, not John Mechie, but Jalen Waddle was the best receiver on Alabama's roster. I understand from a production standpoint, Devontae Smith would probably look like the best receiver, but I absolutely love what Jalen Waddle should bring to Alabama's offense this year. And technically, you know, it kind of not ignoring the past, but more so just thinking about projecting where they can be now. I think Jalen Waddle could end up being Alabama's number one receiver, but you're going to have two guys who are really close. But I get the slight edge to Waddle over Smith. And then I think John Mechie is the number three receiver. So I'd give him the edge over Slade Bolden, 
where I think Cecil has you is I like Tyrell Shavers and his experience more than I do Xavier Williams, even though both of them are slightly comparable, but I think you could do a lot more with Shavers. Uh, I think Cecil's got a nice combination of guys, but I like yours slightly more. That, that's fair. I mean, I, honestly, I would have taken a tie at the wide receiver position, so I'll uh, I'll gladly take a, a win where where I can get it. Tight end? So tight end, yeah. I mean, essentially it's just Miller Forrestal versus Jaleel Billingsley, and that's extremely tough because Miller Forrestal brings all the experience to the table, but I think Jaleel Billingsley has an extremely high upside originally I went with it being even because it was just such a toss up. If Carl Tucker would have been available and he, of course he wasn't cause he's not on campus yet, but if he would have been available and one of you two guys would have snagged him in kind of a combination of tight ends, that definitely would have been a, a tipping factor. Uh, it, it's very tough because I'm looking at this more so from what these guys can do in eight day games. And I think that you don't have to be, some super experienced guy to make an impact in an A-day game because we've seen it so much that you didn't have to be. Taking that into account, I think the higher ceiling is Jaleel Billingsley, but I'm also still going to somewhat take the experience factor into account, so that's why I say the tight end's even. I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. I'll I'll take a tie there, especially because I, I don't think it's even debatable that Cecil got me on the offensive line. Well, you know, I, I agree with that, and I did say that Cecil had the edge in that, but I also put in parentheses slightly. I think that the and – I, and I wanted to get your take because I didn't get the reasoning behind this stuff. I just saw the list, okay. and we'll talk about that here in a second. But the right side of Cecil's offensive line is stacked. Landon Dickerson, Deontay Brown, Evan Neal, that's, you know, three of the best offensive linemen on the team. I think the left side of your offensive line is pretty good. You have Darian Dalcourt, who could certainly end up being the starting center. You have Alex Leatherwood at left tackle and Emil Ikior, who could certainly be involved at left guard. You have that combination. I think where your most weakest, of course, is going to be on the right side. If this is the way it's structured, it might not be. But I had Kendall Randolph at right guard and Tommy Brown at right tackle. Um, now, as far as Cecil stuff, because that's the way I kind of originally listed this. And then I started looking at the actual pieces that he had. And I realized, okay, maybe it's not. Okay, I, I'll go ahead and tell you what I thought the five starters were initially. I thought Chris Owens at left tackle because he's got experience at left tackle. Pierce Quick at left guard. Landon Diggerson at center. Deontay Brown at right guard. And Evan Neal at right tackle. Then I started realizing, looking at it, well, Chris Owens has experience at center. He's a, a starting experience. Maybe he's the center in this scenario. Landon Diggerson bumps back to right guard. Evan Neal at right tackle. Deion, who's got experience at left guard, at left guard, and then Pierce Quick playing left tackle. So do you know which way he ended up going as far as his OL combination? He said he was going to have Landon Dickerson at center. Um, but honestly, that's why I was disappointed when he got Evan Neal from me because he's so versatile. He gives you – and Landon Dickerson too. He gives you – so many options with the offensive line. Like I, my first uh, offensive line picks were Alex Leatherwood, Emilek Eor Jr. and Darian Dalcourt. So I had to get a tackle. I had to, he wasn't necessarily uh, hindered in that way. He didn't have any position biases to worry about later in his draft because he had Evan Neal and Landon Dickerson. Um, so while he, did kind of commit to having Dickerson as his center during the 
the podcast. I think he he had the the positional flexibility that, that I was hoping to get. Um, but uh, honestly, I will take Cecil having a slight advantage on the offensive line. I'll take that because while I, I like my group a lot, the reality of it is Alabama has four returning starters on the offensive line and Cecil has three of them. Plus yes. a dude who started, what, four games last year, Chris Owens? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean – and that's if, that's if a very I good point. If I can get away with a slight disadvantage on the offensive line, I will take it. I will gladly take it. Yeah, and there are probably a lot of people who disagree with my take. I mean, I like your argument that you made for him. Just these were my thoughts kind of initially going through. And I'm I'm really high on Darian Dalcourt. The way I viewed it is you each had three starting caliber offensive linemen. because uh, I think Ikior certainly could be a starting caliber guy. And then I liked the fact that he had so I have him at left tackle and he had experience and has held up pretty decently there. So yeah, I ended up giving him the slight edge, but I liked hearing the reasoning behind how you guys kind of ended up where you did. Now the defensive line, this was another tough one, but I ended up giving you a slight advantage and I did the same thing. I put slightly next to it because he had Christian Barmore, Justin Aboigby and Stefan Wynn. You had DJ Dell, Fedarian Mathis, Byron Young, and Braylon Ingram. The fact that you had that extra defensive lineman, which adds a little rotation to your squad, plus I think that DJ Dell and Fedarian Mathis, plus Byron Young, all three of those guys got plenty of, of experience last year. Justin Aboyme, of course, did too. Christian Barmore did. But Stefan Wynn is kind of where I kind of start to separate. I think you have three starting caliber defensive linemen right now with a rotational guy, and he's got two proven starting caliber defensive linemen with a guy who shows a lot of potential in Stephon Wynn, but we just don't really know what he is yet. No, I'll, I'll take it. Um, he, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he was the first one to take a defensive lineman until Christian Barmore. That's correct. Um, yes. And I was, I was pretty upset by that, as people who listen to the podcast will – well, no. Um, I, I really wanted Christian Barmore on on my side, but the fact that he struck first with a defensive lineman that I wanted, and I still feel like I have an advantage on that position group, I, I feel I feel like that might be one of the bigger wins of the draft for me. Yeah, and, and now I'll say this: Christian Barmore and his personality, the fact that he goes so hard anytime he's on a football field. He's the kind of player who would probably impact line. You know, we've seen it from other guys in the past. That certainly would fit the bill for a guy like him. And, you know, DJ Dale, where's he at as far as his health? I mean, do you start getting into that stuff and analyzing that? I don't know. But what ended up a slight tipping point was the fact that you thought enough of your defensive line and understand rotation that you used one of your extra picks to get an extra defensive lineman. And he kind of made up for it with the outside linebackers, which technically are pass rushers and, and rotational guys too. But moving on to that, uh, I, it's very tough for me to, to decide with the edge group. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how you felt about it because you got the most experienced guy by far that Alabama has in Christopher Allen. And I put such a huge emphasis at Jack Corner in comparison to yours. So I wanted to get your thoughts because he also got two extremely talented true freshmen who are very uh, a lot of unknowns with Chris Braswell and Will Anderson. Plus he's got King Wakuda 
in there as well. You only have Drew Sanders outside of Chris Allen. So at my initial reaction was, okay, in any other scenario, I would say that it was even because you have the most experienced guy, plus you have you know probably the least um, likely to make an immediate impact in Drew Sanders on the opposite side. But I think the tipping point is the fact that he made the rotation by adding an extra edge player. He's got three compared to your two. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I thought he got me on, on the linebackers. I, I said it during the podcast. Linebacker, especially outside linebacker, was a position where it really behooved you to take a risk on newcomers because there isn't – I mean, other than Christopher Allen, who was uh, a bit-slash-rotational player last year at best, there isn't really a proven commodity there. So why not take a chance on – a highly rated Chris Braswell or a very exciting prospect in Will Anderson Jr. and and give yourself a chance at a at a high ceiling breakout kind of performance. And I said that on the podcast. And he, Chris Braswell and Will Anderson Jr. were the two guys that I really wanted in that vein. And he beat me to both of them. And then got King Makuta as a as rotational depth. So I thought he I thought he got me there. And then on the inside too. He got the two guys that started last year. I, I got the guy who was a backup and a, a early enrollee freshman. So, I mean, while I do like that I have Christopher Allen on the edge with my line that has DJ Dale and Fedarian Mathis on the inside, I, I think that would play well on a football field. If we're just taking this linebacker group versus linebacker group, I, I unfortunately have to admit that Cecil has, a, has an edge on me. Yeah, and I know that it will sound like I'm being super inconsistent because at some times I'm saying, oh, the experience factor at corner is, is a huge difference, but it's not as big of a difference at, at you know the fact that he doesn't have any experience at running back. I think that it all depends on your position. I think corner, you know, especially having to go against the, the receivers that both of you guys, you know, both of y'all squads would be going against, I think having experience at cornerback is a lot more important. Running back, it's kind of like, you know, you can have guys who make an immediate impact at that spot. They don't even know the offense very well. You give them a couple of plays that they do well. You have a good offensive line that can block for There's other factors involved. But you, you put Josh Job out there on an island against, you know, uh, Devontae Smith or something, which they're both on the same squad in this scenario. But, you know, hypothetically, it's going to matter how much experience a guy like Josh Job has. So I don't want the listeners to think, oh, he's saying experience is important in some aspects and then not in others. I think edge is another spot. Um, now, granted, you can get early contributions from those true freshmen like Chris Braswell and Will Anderson because you, know, you put them in pass rushing situations. All they got to do is, hey, you know how to go get after the quarterback, go get after him. That's your responsibility in, on passing situations. But I think there's nuances to the position as far as being an every down defender. And Chris Allen is the only one who has any sort of, of that type of experience. So that's why I kind of I made it closer. But in the end, I still with Cecil as having the edge there. Um, and I think we'll probably know how I feel about cornerback because I've, I've kind of said, I think that it wasn't really close. I think all the experience, the top two guys in the squad at corner, both in the same squad, I thought that was smart of Cecil. You get a lot of experience there. Um, and when you combine that with the fact that he's got more of a rotation as far as his pass rush, he's probably got the best interior pass rusher on the team in Christian Barmore. I think that plays really well for his defense. So it gave him a huge advantage at cornerback. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's fair. I can I can accept that. Um, I, I still think 
and I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, I think Jordan Battle gives me an advantage at safety, um, which will close that gap if you looked at this as the secondary as a whole. But I don't know that it's enough to close the gap that he created by getting Sertan and Job over my Ronald Williams and Jalen Armour Davis. So, well, well I'll I, say I this: he has an advantage at corner. I think I have an advantage at safety, but I think his advantage at corner is bigger than my advantage at safety. So, I think if you were to take the the secondary as an entire package, I think Cecil would have a modest advantage. Yes. And and that's a great way to put it. I broke it down by corners and safeties. I think he has a massive advantage at corner. I think you have a pretty sizable advantage at safety. It's not, it's like you said, it's not quite as much. And so if you combined it and made it a secondary as a whole, I think you would have to give the lean to Cecil, but yeah, uh, you talk about, I love DeMarco Hellams. I think that he's a potential guy who will make a much bigger impact for Alabama than people realize even playing just that money position. Uh, I really like his skill set. He can play down near the box. You could play him a little bit higher up if you wanted to and, you know, uh, two deep safety looks, things like that. And plus you have by far, in my opinion, the best safety on the roster in Jordan Battle. So, yeah, I think that your analysis on that is exactly where I was at with things. But I just broke it down by corners and safety. So each of you got a, a check mark for that in comparison to just Cecil getting the slight check mark on the group as a whole. So that's good for you. And then the last position is inside linebackers. And my initial thoughts, I really like the potential of Ali Keho and Demoye Kennedy, but I think Christian Harris of four is by far the best, and he's the most experienced. And then he he went Cecil went with the more experienced duo that we saw from last year. While you're adding Keho, who is a rotational guy, and Demoye Kennedy, who has an extremely high ceiling, but he's a true freshman. It's a tough position to learn as a true freshman. Um, we would kind of just have to see, but I, I gave the slight advantage to Cecil, and it might not even be slight. It depends on how impactful a guy like Demoy Kennedy can be during his first season. The ceiling is there, but the experience is not. So I gave a slight advantage to Cecil. Uh, that's fair, and uh, Cecil made a really good point uh, on Shane Lee, which he got, who he got really, really late in the draft. Uh, he made a good point with selecting Shane Lee that if you look at the rest of his defensive front, you have Christian Barmore and Justin Aboigby, two guys who have shown ability as pass rushers. You have Chris Braswell and Will Anderson Jr., two guys who project to be good pass rushers. So having Shane Lee in there as some thump in the middle of the field um, really adds an element to his team that, uh, that it didn't have previously. So I know uh, Shane Lee has taken his fair share of bumps in the court of public opinion, but um, I, I think he made a good point in selecting Shane Lee relative to the composition of, of the rest of his team more than uh, relative to where he ended up being taken in this draft. So before we get your final verdict on who you think would win this game, was there anything about the draft order that, that stuck out to you? I, I think the biggest one for me was that I got John Mechie the, the third behind a list of players, including Fedarian Mathis, Emil Lekior Jr., Justin Aboigby, and uh, just ahead of Keelan Robinson. Um, I, I thought I thought that was a pretty good pull on, on my part to get John Mechie the third that late in the game. Um, 
But I also thought Cecil did really well to get Slade Bolden and Terrell Shavers in such quick succession to give himself uh, what you already uh, established, what you think is a pretty solid advantage in the uh, third wide receiver position. So those were two that stood out to me. What stood out to you? Yeah, um, I really didn't look as much at the draft order, even though kind of just glaring over it. Um, you know, Christian Harris the was fact, the first linebacker off the board. I figured you'd appreciate that. Yes, definitely. And and that was my first thought. And we already talked about this in case people don't realize Dylan Moses, Joshua McMillan and LeBron Ray. None of those three guys were eligible. Um, I guarantee you, I know that Cecil went, uh, Patrick Sertan as his second pick, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, that would have been Dylan Moses had he been healthy and been able to play, I would think. Wouldn't you? I mean, I'll I'll go ahead and say it. Like, so his first pick was Mac Jones. I made my first pick Bryce Young just to make sure that he didn't have both Mac Jones and Bryce Young on on his roster at the same time. But if if Dylan Moses were available, I would have made him my second selection instead of Najee Harris. Yeah, which would have made a lot of sense. And also, when you first did that, I kind of had – Wondered, um, you know, he went Mac Jones with his first pick, and you went immediately went Bryce Young. And when I was first looking at that, I was like, man, you know, he kind of already has his starting quarterback. I feel like you could have kind of waited and and gotten and gotten Bryce Young later. But if you would have ran that risk and got and he would have landed, you know, with one of his next picks, uh, Bryce Young, and had Mac Jones and Bryce Young versus Leah and and Paul Tyson, this wouldn't even been a discussion. It would have been over right there. Uh, as long as he could fill out the rest of the positions pretty well, he would have been complete. I, I think anybody looking at that list thinking, okay, you're going to have Bryce Young and Mac Jones in the same squad. It didn't matter who you have out there at quarterback. They're going to be able to outperform the other two guys by a significant margin. You would think, I think it was actually pretty smart that you went ahead and grabbed Bryce Young because Cecil could have ended the debate very early in that draft, at least in my opinion. And see, I, I kind of had the same thought process when I got, to Leah Tungavaloa when I did, um, because I wanted to see if I could give myself an advantage at the quarterback position, or at least a better claim to the advantage at the quarterback position, having Talia over Paul Tyson, since that's clearly how it was on, on last year's depth chart. But Cecil made me pay for that with getting Slade Bolden, Will Anderson Jr. And Terrell Shavers with three of his next four picks. So yeah, I tried yeah. to get a advantage at the quarterback position, and he uh, he made me pay for it elsewhere on the field. But no, you're you're right. If I if I let him get both Mac Jones and Bryce Young, I think uh, I think that would have been too difficult to overcome later in the draft. Yeah, and I think the fact I liked that you guys gave yourself the flexibility to to kind of fill in, like you went with the the fourth defensive lineman. Cecil went with the third uh, edge player outside linebacker type. Having that flexibility because, you know, you took, taken, yeah, you took Ronald Williams fairly early. Not, you know, yeah. And when I was first looking at that, I was like, why did he end up doing it that way? Um, but the reason for it is if – Cecil goes ahead and gets his cornerbacks, but then he goes ahead and decides to add depth there. 
you're left with Jalen Armour Davis, and now you're talking about guys who are not supposed to, you know, you're talking about the number five and six cornerbacks on the depth chart. You don't really have starting caliber, at least not, they're not viewed as starting caliber right now. You don't have them in your starting lineup. You got to got you got to go with a guy like Brandon Turnage or Marcus Banks. And so having the position flexibility, if y'all have said, "Hey, you draft two corners and that's it," once he got Sertan and Josh Jove, you know, okay, the other two guys are mine. I can save them for my last picks uh, because Cecil can't get any more corners. So I liked that aspect. Now, Hank, but as I'm looking at this, and this is the reason I started to kind of. So did you take Ronald Williams before he took Josh Jove? Uh, let me double check. I might have, and if I okay. did, I can I can explain why. Um, Jordan Battle there, yes. Okay. Um, okay. Yes, yes. I got Ronald Williams uh, before he got Josh Job. I, I did that for the positional versatility. Okay, that's that's fair. He he can play some star if you need him to. He can play right. some outside corner. And then he and of course Cecil already had Pastor Tan who could play the star and, and outside corner, but Job so far has pretty much just been an outside guy. So, okay, uh, I still probably would prefer to have Job. I would I think I'd have felt a lot better if you'd have had a combination of Job and Jalen Armour Davis uh, in comparison to Pastor Tan and Ronald Williams for Cecil. But at the same time, it, you know that's that's just fable reasoning there, so I can't necessarily disagree with it. Um, at the end of the day. First of all, I have this question. Where's Will Reichard going? Because this might come down to a field goal. This is pretty yeah, close. Yeah, we, we didn't do kickers. Yeah. So, our, our, and I was saying that more as a joke because the difference could be having the best kicker on the roster, Joseph Belovis, Will Reichard, because y'all squads are, are really similar. Not similar as far as where the strengths are, but when I started looking at it as a whole, it was hard to come up with the decision. I'm going to be honest. I think I'm going to have to go – uh, with Cecil, because even though he has the inexperience at running back, I think, like I said, that's a, that's a spot where you can get production despite the fact they have limited experience. He's got the better offensive line slightly, uh, especially has the most experience at that spot. I feel like Cecil got the experience at the positions that you needed it the most, which is corner and offensive line. And then where you know you kind of had the advantage as far as experience was an edge rusher just because you had Christopher Allen. And then you know I guess yeah, it's very similar. Otherwise, I would probably say Cecil's team would win slightly. But I think you both did a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, if I were to project the results of the Twitter poll where we put this out and let people decide who they think would win, I think. Cecil will have a slight advantage, like maybe 60-40 in, in beating me because, I mean, as we as we just ran through, I, I think I had to more or less concede the offensive line and linebacker positions to him. And if you're going to win two positions on, on the football field, offensive line and linebacker are, are really, really good positions to win. And I'm not sure that my defensive line is – I don't know that the gap between my defensive line and his is enough to make up the gap there. Now, the That's one fair. eraser I have, and I, I am prepared to die on this hill if I need to, the one eraser I have is Najee Harris. That's I, fair. I, I refuse to give up the possibility 
of Najee Harris just taking over this game, this theoretical game, running for 135 yards and two touchdowns and deciding it more or less by himself. I think that's the biggest hope that I have. And I think that might be what gets me a good bit of both. Plus the fact that my offensive line ended up being pretty good, if not as good as Cecil's, but um, uh, that's where, that's where I'm at. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be insulted if Cecil wins the Twitter poll by maybe uh, a 60, 40 or less um, advantage, but I'm I'm not giving up on my team. I, I do think if if these two teams were to see the field, mine would absolutely have a good chance. Well, I think what's gonna help you when you put this poll out is you gotta think who are gonna be the first few players that people think of to want to have on their squad when it comes to Alabama. And while, you know, me and you and Cecil and everybody else, our top choice as far as the experience factor and stuff would be Mac Jones. You have to assume he's the starter. People want the eye candy with Bryce Young. A lot of people feel like he should be already listed as the starter, which blows my mind, but that's how a lot of people feel on Twitter, a lot of Alabama fans. The 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 other guy is going to be Najee Harris. I think that's the number the number two guy at least. It might be the number one for some. But then you look at the fact that I think the three and four guy, because a guy like Dylan Moses is not available, would be Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. So of those top four guys that I think people are going to think to themselves, okay, who would I want on my squad? They're going to see Bryce Young, Najee Harris, and Jalen Waddle all on the same team and say, that's who I want to vote for and not dive super into it. So it could actually be a lot closer. Now, if Cecil's got the 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 factor that everybody loves Cecil, including us, we love Cecil to death. And everybody loves you too, but Cecil's, you know, I think anybody will tell you Cecil's the GOAT. So there also might be some people that just simply vote for Cecil because it's Cecil. But I think if you actually look at these squads, arguments can be made for both. And in my opinion, if the poll should go how it should, if the poll does go how it should, I think it should be like a 53-47, 54-46 type of split and not really anything much more than that. I think it should be single-digit difference. I would take that. And uh, the only – the only objection I have to, to what you just said is uh, I doubt Georgia fans love me. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, do you think we're going to have a bunch of Georgia fans voting on this? No, but you said everybody loves Cecil and everybody loves me too. No, Georgia fans don't love me. Okay, that's fair. I, I, <laughs> well, I mean, Cecil's got 100,000 followers, so I guarantee you there's some Georgia fans in there. Uh, yeah. As far as me and you, I don't think I have too many that follow me personally, but – it should be. I'll I'll go ahead and tell you. I'll put it out there, and I hope this doesn't sway anybody uh, their their vote. But I'll go ahead and put my vote out there. My vote will be going to Cecil. But just understand that that was not a oh this is clearly better. You both did a heck of a job of building your squads, and I love the thought process behind it. And I think people are really going to enjoy this. Did you guys have fun doing this? Because I know I would have. We we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we said. A couple of times during the podcast, we might do this in the future when they actually have eight day games. We might just do this for for fun, for for our own um, purposes. And if the if the exercise is well received this year, as we anticipate it will be, um, I think we will uh, go ahead and do it next year too. Um, against the actual eight day teams that are obviously influenced by uh, factors other than just 
building a good team. Those are influenced by guys getting reps and um, certain competitive factors, things of that nature. But um, the, only, the only thing that I would ask is next year when this happens, all you know, however many scholarship players are pretty much on the on the roster during the spring. I would love to see all, all those guys get filled out where we know, you know, who the stars would be, who would, you know, because in certain situations you might draft a guy and say, okay, because, you know, Ronald Williams and Jalen Armour Davis, you know, Marcus Banks is going to have to be one of my starting outside corners. I'm going to have to shift Ronald Williams, who I'd prefer to have as an outside guy, going to kick him to start because I think he's the only one that can play it of the three that I had or whatever. You start getting into that that type of analysis, and I think that would make it even more intriguing. Plus, you start building the depth of some of these rosters out, like Ishmael uh, Sopser, you know, the fact that he didn't make it. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys. Uh, Ryan Robinson Jr. Yeah, Amari Kite along the offensive line. You know, if you had a kind of – battle going on at right tackle between Tommy Brown because Tommy Brown can play right guard as well so if you could say hey I added Amari Kite as well we can figure out the best two of those three between Kendall Randolph Tommy Brown and Amari Kite and that will help improve my starters on the offensive line you see what I'm saying uh get some little competition going in there and kind of see where it takes you but yeah I think this was a, a awesome exercise that you guys did yeah and we'll uh we'll have to continue it in a uh post COVID-19 world. Hey, remember when we were supposed to spend this episode breaking down running backs? Yeah, and you know what? I've, I've decided to call a pivot. I decided it at about the 35-minute mark because I was like, if we go 30 minutes and then talk about the running backs for 30 minutes, that's not a big deal. Um, but I'm not trying to put an hour and 15, you know, and I know we were at least going to talk about the running backs for 30 minutes. So what we might do, or I, in fact, I think it's what we're going to do if you're cool with it, but break this thing up into two. And, and we'll be able to kind of get it. There will be a, a week without a specific position breakdown, which is going to happen anyways, because we're releasing yours and Cecil's thing on Friday. This is Friday. So we're recording it today. This is going to be going out on Monday. So maybe we can break it up and get people two different episodes to listen to next week. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. So uh, <laughs> this is going to be fun for the listener. We're more or less going to have a production meeting on the air on the podcast. So we have the NFL draft next week. So what if we did the running backs and an NFL draft preview next week? Then the week after that, we did an NFL draft recap and then finished this spring position breakdown series with the defensive line. What if we did that? Perfect. Yeah. I like where your head's at. And see, guys, y'all are getting an inside look as to why Brett's such a great guy to have on the team because he just – I think that's the perfect way to structure this, and I think it's going to be the, the perfect opportunity to bring you guys good content. And Brett was over here spitballing right off the top of his head. So y'all I'm are, fully on board. Y'all are getting at least two football podcasts a week through May 1st when the college football when, – when college athletics were, grind, were put at a screeching halt – in the first week of March. I'd say that's a pretty good deal. And I mean, you know, we're, we're starting to get Cecil back involved where he's, and I'm sure that'll translate once we get back actually into the studio, we'll start getting more of these round tables going a lot more. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll probably have several podcasts about how, when they start announcing the news on how sports is going to go down, uh, whether it be a shortened season, whether it be, you know, pushing it back to the spring We'll start having some podcasts talking about, okay, where does that put certain guys? What does that mean? Because, you know, I've talked about it on the radio show that I do. 
if if they push it back to the spring, you might have some time in there where kids can start getting back on campus in the fall where you can have a spring and have a, you know, maybe get back in Jan- early January as well after you've kind of gone through a, a, a some form of a spring, allow them to do a, a fall camp per se in the early part of January. They could be in the indoor practice facility where they can keep it kind of warmer because I know it'll be pretty cold outside. Um, so, yeah, I think that the, the, what we'll do is when we start hearing how things are actually going to play out, we'll start telling you how that impacts Alabama and what that means. Cause if a guy like Bryce young, if he could get that spring back uh, by being able to go in the fall and getting, you know, go through that process, that would really help him as far as being ready for, you know, if football started in the spring, maybe being the starting quarterback. And, you know, we'll have thoughts on that of course, but that's kind of where, where we're at with things. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as news comes, we'll be able to, to look at how this impacts things. The one thing that I've, I've grown more and more certain of is, and this isn't a, a unique thought by any stretch of the imagination. This has been reported to varying degrees over the last few weeks. I find it hard to believe that we don't have a football season in the 2020-2021 academic calendar year from August to May, just because the the money in oh yeah college It'd football broadcasting is so huge, despite what uh, local idiot Darren Rovell tweets, the broadcast money in, in college football is just way, way too huge to ignore to the point that I think most college administrators would rather play a full see a full 12 game season from say January to April than play a six game season from October to mid-January. Um, the the money, uh, college sports has put itself in a situation where without the football revenues, they have to change everything about how they operate. I mean, you, you've already seen Cincinnati cut men's soccer and Old Dominion cut wrestling, two programs that are gone before the football revenue is actually being threatened. Um, you can only imagine what would happen later if if the football revenue was actually threatened and it would get even worse because you have to consider Title IX and you would have to cut relatively evenly among men and women's sports. And, and obviously schools that play football have a certain uh, different calculus to attend to because football is such a huge scholarship uh, stuck that they have 85 scholarships, right? So they have more women's sports, so they can more afford to cut men's sports than, than women's sports. I'm getting a little too uh, deep in the weeds than, than I wanted to go. The point is, we're going to, I'm pretty confident that we're going to have college football at some point in the 2020-2021 academic calendar year. Where exactly in that calendar it falls is what remains to be seen, but as as news comes out about that, we'll uh We'll we'll break it down however we can. And I'm sure they're going to be just like there was in in baseball, which we've covered in podcasts with Hunter and my and I. Um, there are going to be schools that that benefit or uh, don't from whenever the college football season starts and ends, if it doesn't go on as it's currently scheduled. And we'll uh, we'll probably break that down every way we can when the time comes. 
Yeah, I, there's two things I want to say before we wrap up. A, there's going to have to be a college football season. At some point, there's no way around it. Um, you're talking about it being absolutely crippling to universities and, and athletic programs and stuff if they don't. I think that if they don't have a college football season, you're going to see several situations like what happened with UAB a few years ago where people are going to have to, these smaller schools, some of them might have to actually shut down their football programs as well. I think it would have that type of economic impact. And then the other thing too, because I'm trying to look at the positives of all this, it would be pretty cool. I, I, I would hate this idea that we're still what, you know, 10 months away from college football or nine or 10 months or something like that. That would really be devastating to think about, um, considering we've already gone several months without it. But the good part is if the NFL is so hell-bent on making sure that their season starts on time, if you could get the NFL football during the fall and then turn around and, and for the first time ever during the spring at college football, you would get eight, nine, ten straight months of football a couple of month layoff and they might have to restructure how they do things, but then you'd have football coming right back for the NFL and college might start a little bit later or something. I don't know how that would work, but I guarantee you they try to get it back to normal as soon as possible. So you you might only have, you know, once we hit August, about a two month period where you didn't have some sort of football for the next year and a half. And that would be awesome to think about. So that's, you know, a positive spin on it. Brett, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on here with me, brother. Always love talking to you. Miss, you know, being able to see you in the studio. Hopefully we're able to get back soon. Uh, and I hope the little ones are doing well. They are. I mean, I had I had Emma in my arms this entire podcast, which uh I mean, you probably heard her in, in bits and pieces, but she was she was pretty well behaved, I think. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go do what I'm always doing, which is either giving a bottle or changing a diaper or call me a crying baby. I hear you, brother. All right, man. Well, you should try to stay safe, and uh, we'll hop on here next week and get the running backs recorded and get a pre-draft uh, episode recorded as well. So everybody needs to stay tuned for that. This has been the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles and UA Sports Marketing.